and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the Beatitudes. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have gathered us here again today. Lord, to give us your word, to feed us with your sacrament, and to bless us with your promises. We pray this day, O Lord, that as we hear these Beatitudes, we would be blessed by your word, and that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes our perspective on things changes when we give it a second look. There should be a picture up there for the slides. Let's look at this picture here this morning. All right, when you look at this picture, what's the first thing you see? A face, right? Someone's, someone's face. But as you look closer, what are you going to find out? Let's give it a second look. There's actually no face in this picture at all. You see that? This is a picture by Van Gogh, and it's kind of an optical illusion. Uh, you'll notice there that what look like eyes are actually not eyes at all, but two houses. The nose, what looks like a nose, is a guy sitting on a rock. The hair, the receding hairline, is really just the sun and its beams. Uh, the ear, it's a Van Gogh, so there's only one ear. Uh, the ear is a hat. Uh, the collar is a woman's dress. What shapes his face is nothing more than a tree. The beard is grass, and the lips, well, the lips look like lips in the grass, but that's beside the point. What you see here is that you don't really have a face at all, but on closer examination, the more you look at this painting, you see that it's an optical illusion using the elements in the picture to give you the impression of a face. But, but you gotta look closely, you gotta take a second look to see that. Now, let's take that picture away because I want you to pay attention to the sermon and not the picture. But as we come to the Beatitudes today, I think we want to kind of look at these kind of like we look at that Van Gogh painting. We need to take a second look. We need to take a bit of a closer examination of this text because far too often when we come to the Beatitudes, I think we read them uh, as instruction. We are a people, and let me say it this way, we are a people who are wired for law. That is, when we go to the Bible, so often we go to the Bible looking for guidance, looking for instruction, looking for something that I must do or a work that I must perform. And to be sure, when we go to the Bible, we do find a lot of laws. We do find a lot of instruction and a lot of guidance. In fact, over the next couple of weeks, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we'll hear laws, we'll hear instructions from Jesus. But that means if that's how we're wired, that's like almost the only thing we're looking for. And if that's the attitude we have when we come to the Beatitudes, we start to read these Beatitudes, these, these blessed words from Jesus, as though they are requirements that we must perform in order to earn God's blessings. Uh, maybe you've heard them described this way. These are the attitudes you must have if you are going to be blessed. They are the Beatitudes, the attitudes you must have. <sighs> no, <laughs> no, that's not what you see going on here. If that's how you read the Beatitudes, as instructions and guidance on what you must do in order to earn God's blessings, I'm going to suggest to you today that you join me in taking a closer look. Let's take a second look at the Beatitudes, and upon closer examination, what I think we find is that Jesus is doing something entirely different here. For at no point in these teachings does Jesus give us a command. 
nor does he lay out for us any expectations. There is no conditional promise with a reward at the end of it. Instead, what we find when we come to the Beatitudes is Jesus simply pronouncing blessings upon people. On people that you might not expect to be considered blessed. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break the Beatitudes up into two sections. And and what we're going to find here is this, is that first, Jesus is pronouncing blessings upon people that you and me and really the world typically don't consider blessed. And then what we're going to see in the second section of the Beatitudes is that Jesus uh, is promising us that the way the world treats us as his disciples is going to be very different from the way that God treats us as Jesus' disciples. So let's dive into it here this morning. The first thing we see as we look at the first set of Beatitudes is that Jesus blesses people and calls people to be his disciples that we would not expect. Listen to what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What we see here in this first section is that Jesus is not giving instructions on how to be blessed, but rather what he's doing upon closer examination is he is showing us that he is in the business of what we might call gracious choosing. He's in the business of choosing people to be his disciples purely by grace and not because of anything they have. Because if there's anything that the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, and the hungry for righteousness and the thirsty for righteousness, if there's anything that they have in common, it is this. It is their lack. The thing they have in common is that they don't have anything to present before God to make them righteous or holy. Think about it. The poor in spirit. To be poor, another way of saying this, is someone who is lacking anything in spirit. Someone who is impoverished in spirit. And why is it that one would be impoverished in spirit? Well, before God, it's probably because of guilt and shame. People have done sinful things. They are not wealthy in good works or overflowing with self-promoting righteousness. Rather, when it comes to their spirit, they have nothing They're poor. They're begging for something. What about the mourning? Why do people mourn? It's because they look around and they see the trouble of death. They see the consequence of sin on this world. They're they're mourning the loss of somebody that they loved dearly. And they mourn because it's almost as though there's nothing they can do about it. Then you have the meat. Nobody in our world considers meek people blessed because meek in our world means that you are a doormat. You are somebody that other people walk all over. To be meek in this world is to to suffer injustice for no good reason at all. And all of these people are, are the sort of people who are starving for righteousness who are thirsting for things to be made right, who are, who are starving to be restored to God and to see righteousness be reestablished in this world. As we look at people in these particular situations, and as the world judges them, we don't see the sort of people that we would typically choose to start, you know, like a revolution. You, You don't see here Jesus listing out people that are high up on your hiring list to give your business business success. These are not people who gain a lot of awards and earn a lot of accolades because of their accomplishments. 
I was listening to Sports Talk Radio earlier this week, and they were talking about how uh, they've changed the way they select the All-Star Game in the NBA, the National Basketball Association. And, and what they do now is they get sort of two captains, and these captains are given a pool of players, and they have to pick who they want on their team. And on the Sports Talk Show, they were talking about how it's a lot like uh, the schoolyard or gym class. You remember those terrifying days where you would have to go to gym, and then they would, like, they would pick teams, and you always feared being picked last, or if you were in my case, you always knew you were going to be picked last, and it was like this terrible thing you had to wait for. And they were, they were joking on Sports Talk. It's like, these are guys who've never been picked last in their life. They're not going to know what to do with it. But what Jesus is telling us today in the Beatitudes, he says, when it, comes to when, I, when it comes to the people that I hand out blessings to, when it comes to the people that I choose to be my disciples, I'm always picking the last. I'm always choosing the least. The ones that the world looks down upon are the ones that I gather to myself. So think about this. Is your spirit impoverished because of guilt and shame? Do you come in here this morning carrying a heavy load because of sins you have committed and, and guilt that just weighs heavy on you? Jesus looks at you today sitting here and says, blessed are you because Jesus has chosen to forgive you for those sins. He has shed his blood to declare you righteous and now he has called you, yes, you this impoverished sinner, he has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, to his kingdom where there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Are you here today mourning because of death? Are you mourning because of the way sin seems to have seeped into everything in the world around us and it just looks like this world is falling apart? Are you mourning for these things? Jesus says, blessed are you because I've risen from the grave. I've conquered death and I will make all things right and you will rejoice with the angels in heaven. Are you here today as someone who suffers injustice, who others look down upon, who are going through difficult times because of the way you have been mistreated? Are you always last? Jesus says, blessed are you, for I have called you into my kingdom where the last are made first, and I will seat you next to me in heavenly realms. Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Well, blessed are you, because you've come to a place today where Jesus will feed you with his body and blood, and your sins will once again be forgiven, and you will be satisfied. Blessed are you. Jesus is in this business of, of gracious choosing and giving out blessings to those that we just simply don't see as blessed in our world. The impoverished, mourning, meek, and spiritually starved. These are the ones Jesus calls to be his disciples. And what's wonderful about this, this call to discipleship, this, this call to the life and into the kingdom of Jesus, is that once Jesus gets us with these blessings, once he calls us to be his own and makes us his own, he leads us with him out into the world. That we might go out and proclaim these mercies. We might go out and proclaim his peace and his reconciliation and, and this, this pure heart that he gives to people. He sends us out, or he, I should probably better say it this way, he brings us with him. That we might proclaim it to the world around us. And you would think with such a message of blessing and joy and hope that the world would receive this with great joy. But here's the problem. The world doesn't want another Lord. People in this world are happy to be their own Lord, are happy to be in charge of themselves, and they, they don't want to have their lives taken by a gracious Savior. And so when we go out proclaiming these blessings, we should expect to receive the same treatment Jesus received. We should not expect to be welcomed at all. 
But when that rejection, that lack of welcome comes, Jesus says, don't think that the blessings have left. Blessed are you because you belong to me. Listen to what he says in the second part of the Beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you've received the mercy of Jesus, you become a person who exudes mercy. This is just what happens, whether we even really realize it or not. When you've received mercy from Jesus, mercy becomes the air that you breathe. It's the mercy that you breathe in, and it's the mercy that you breathe out. You receive it in as you hear the gospel, and you breathe it out as you share that mercy with the world around you. It is a blessed oxygen to breathe. It's a mercy by which Jesus has given you a pure heart and declared you righteous in his sight. Because of this pure heart that you have received, you will see God, and you are blessed because of it. And because you have been given this new heart and you have received this mercy, you begin to go out and, and pursue peace. To not only proclaim peace that we have with God on account of Christ, but to pursue peace and reconciliation in this world. But that's where the trouble comes. Because when you pursue peace, when you pursue reconciliation, so often you have to call people to repent, to turn away from the sins that they're facing. And that's the thing people don't want. Nobody wants to turn away. Nobody wants to repent. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Nobody wants to admit they're not the Lord of their own life. So that's when the pushback comes. That's when the hardship arises. That's when your family members don't want to talk to you anymore. That's when your colleagues at work don't want to spend time with you at lunch anymore. That's when your relationships start to face difficulties because you're trying to proclaim some good news and they simply don't want to hear it. They don't want to feel, quote-unquote, judged. And so the persecution arises. And that's not really persecution as much as rejection. But we do see that as it goes almost like a snowball effect, it starts small and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until the church is not welcomed at all. But at this point, Jesus still says, don't think that the blessings have been removed. In fact, it's this wonderful move that he makes in this, in this, in this, uh, in this part of the sermon. Where so far, he sort of generally described people who are going to receive the blessings. But now he kind of turns and he looks directly at those he has blessed. He looks directly at his disciples. He looks directly at his chosen ones. He looks directly at you. And he says, when these things come your way, the blessings haven't left. In fact, he says this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, it's as though Jesus is saying this. Listen, when I've been proclaiming these beatitudes, I have been speaking with you, to you the whole time. And you have cause to rejoice when after having been saved by me in my grace, having been chosen by me, though you lack everything, having been called to follow me into this world with the good news of salvation and life, you have cause to rejoice even when the world rejects you and persecutes you. Because that's not the worst thing that can happen to you, says Jesus. In fact, the world's hatred towards you will only force you to treasure my dear love for you all that much more. And it will cause you to rejoice in this great promise that your reward is great in heaven. 
Your reward in heaven, Jesus says, has been purchased by me with my blood, and it is prepared for you. I have prepared a place for you. So that no matter how this world treats you, that place is awaiting you. You have nothing to fear in this world. True, you may have to suffer for your faith. You may have to bear a cross. But Jesus says, trust me, I know about crosses. I know what it means to die on a cross. But I also know what it means to rise from the grave. Trust me, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And I will show you the way out, the resurrection. So you see, we need to look at these Beatitudes a little bit differently. Not only do we need to take a second look at the Beatitudes, but I think what happens is when we start to read the Beatitudes this way, what we find is that the Beatitudes teach us to look at the world differently. What the world mocks, what the world despises, what the world hates and rejects, these are the things, it seems, that are loved by God and exalted. As we heard in the reading from 1 Corinthians, God who chooses the weak and foolish things of this world to shame the wise <laughs> has chosen to save you, has chosen to call you blessed, and has chosen to call you to follow him in this blessed life. At first glance, it may not look all that wonderful. The more you hear the word from Jesus and the more you know his love for you, you can truly say that this life of faith is blessed. Amen. We pray. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father, for your grace towards us, that you have called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light of your Son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, as we stand firm in our faith and boldly proclaim your message of love and peace and reconciliation to the world, we pray that you would constantly have placed into our ears and our hearts your blessings that you would sustain us into life everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Having heard the